This morning's reading is from Acts 23, verses 9 to 24. There was a great uproar, and some of the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, stood up and argued vigorously. We find nothing wrong with this man, they said. What if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him? The dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them. He ordered the troops to go down and take him away by force and bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, you must also testify in Rome. The next morning, some Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. More than 40 men were involved in this plot. They went to the chief priests and the elders and said, we have taken a solemn oath not to eat anything until we have killed Paul. Now then, you and the Sanhedrin petition the commander to bring him before you on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about his case. We are ready to kill him before he gets here. But when the son of Paul's sister heard this plot, he went into the barracks and told Paul. Then Paul called one of the centurions and said, take this young man to the commander. He has something to tell him. So he took him to the commander. The centurion said, Paul the prisoner sent for me and asked me to bring this young man to you because he has something to tell you. The commander took the young man by hand, drew him aside and asked, what is it you want to tell me? He said, some Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul before the Sanhedrin tomorrow on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about him. Don't give in to them, because more than 40 of them are waiting in ambush for him. They have taken an oath not to eat or drink until they have killed him. They're ready now, waiting for your consent to their request. The commander dismissed the young man with this warning. Don't tell anyone that you have reported this to me. Then he called two of his centurions and ordered them, get ready a detachment of 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, 200 spearmen, to go to, uh, to Caesarea at nine tonight. Provide horses for Paul so that he may be taken safely to Governor Felix. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. After a break of a few weeks, it's great to be back in our year-long series looking at the Book of Acts. Today, concentrating on Acts 23, we see Paul in Jerusalem. Jerusalem, a place that is so critical to Paul's story. It was the place where his life-changing encounter with Jesus had happened, where he had fervently persecuted those who followed Jesus the place where his saviour, Jesus, suffered an unjust trial and endured physical punishment and a shameful death on a cross. Paul's companions had pleaded with him not to return to Jerusalem. His life would be in danger because of his teaching about Jesus. Jewish leaders were plotting against him, but he could not be dissuaded saying he was ready to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. 
Back in chapter 19 in Ephesus, Paul declares that God's will was for him to return to Jerusalem and from there on to Rome to spread the good news about Jesus. It would be the fulfilment of Jesus' commission to his followers back at the very beginning of Acts in chapter 1, when Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And it was the completion of God's calling on Paul's life, which was given to Ananias back in chapter 9. Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. But then there's this verse, verse 16, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. How was this all going to be fulfilled now? Paul had been taken away by the Roman authorities and locked up in the military barracks. The death threats from the fervent Jewish opposition were growing and he was facing a series of trials and continued imprisonment. Where can Paul find hope in this very difficult situation? Can God's plan and call on Paul's life and ministry really be stopped? Is God going to be faithful to all that he promised? So I'm just going to pray before we look at this in more detail. Father God, take my thoughts and your word and speak to our hearts. May we hold on to the truth that you are trustworthy in all you promise and faithful in all you do. Amen. So in our passage today, we see Paul trapped in prison and his plans to travel to Rome frustrated. So I was thinking about how would I feel if I was stuck in a prison cell? I have to admit that I really don't like being in small spaces, particularly any without windows and where I can't see an obvious way to get out. A few years ago, well aware of how I really felt about confined spaces, I rather foolishly agreed to join my colleagues at work in Bristol on a team-building event at an escape room. We were shown into a very small room, and to me it felt like a large cupboard, and were given a series of puzzles that we had to solve together to crack the code, get the key, and gain freedom. We were dependent on our brain power intelligence and cooperation as colleagues to be able to open the door. To me, to make things even worse, we were competing against another group of colleagues and a time limit, which was counting down on a large clock on the wall in the room. And none of this was helping my rising sense of anxiety about being stuck in that space. This was really meant to be a fun activity, and my colleagues and myself were never in any physical danger. But it did give me a glimpse of what it's like to be stuck somewhere you don't want to be, and when it seems impossible to find the key to the door and gain freedom to allow you to leave. In our passage in Acts 23, Paul has faced such a violent reaction from the Jewish teachers of the law that the Roman commander, in verse 10, was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them. Paul is forcibly removed by the Roman soldiers and imprisoned in the military barracks, as much, really, for his own safety as because of what he'd been saying. 
Luke doesn't record how Paul responded to his circumstances. God had amazingly delivered Paul from prison cells before. Perhaps Paul thought that this would happen again. He'd be able to freely travel to Rome to share Jesus with the Gentile rulers and kings, as Jesus had promised. But it wasn't God's plan this time to immediately free him. Jesus met Paul right there in the prison cell. In verse 11, we see that the following night, Paul experiences Jesus standing near him and giving him this promise. Take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. We often demand that Jesus just delivers us out of our circumstances, when really he wants to meet us right in them. We sometimes think we're surrendering to Jesus' will when we're really only expecting him to deliver us an escape from our present circumstances. God does want to meet us in whatever we face right now at this moment. We might not all experience Jesus standing beside us as clearly as Paul did, but we can all trust in the resurrected Jesus' promise for every believer. In Matthew 28 and 20, we, we read, Surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. In the remainder of Acts 23, God shows Paul how he can wonderfully accomplish his saving purpose through Paul. His promises are trustworthy. Paul can take courage that God is with him, whatever the circumstances. In verses 12 to 14, the plot against Paul escalates. More than 40 men bind themselves with an oath to kill Paul and set a plot to ambush him. But God's rescue plan for Paul also seems to escalate. In verse 16, seemingly out of nowhere, Paul's family step into God's sovereign plan. Paul's nephew, his sister's child, finds out about the plot against him and bravely petitions the Roman authorities to protect Paul. The Roman commander hears his plea, and God's provision to protect Paul is not just adequate. It seems bountiful. Paul is transferred to Caesarea. It's the Roman headquarters in Palestine, which is also the gateway for sea crossings to Rome. Bearing in mind there were probably around 40 men plotting to kill him, it's a remarkably heavy guard. It's 200 soldiers, 70 cavalrymen, 200 spearmen. Paul could take courage. He could trust Jesus' promise that despite the obstacles, trials, struggles and difficulties, he would be able to proclaim the name of Jesus in Rome to the Gentiles and their kings. Paul testifies to the truth of God's promises in Ephesians chapter 1. This is the message version, verses 11 and 12. It is in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us, had designs on us for glorious living, part of the overall purpose he is working out in everything and everyone. Like Paul's experience in Jerusalem, we can find ourselves stuck in difficult places in our Christian lives. 
my experience in the escape room with my colleagues is just a very small reflection of the ways that we personally can find, can try to find freedom. Too often we're relying on our own resources to find our way out, our intellectual skills, willpower, determination, trying to crack the code and find the key that will set us free. Jesus' message to Paul speaks to us today. We can take courage in God's trustworthy promises and trust in his faithfulness to us. Last week, Tim spoke to us about finding true freedom in Jesus, and Joe used a wonderful visual aid from John Bunyan's story, Pilgrim's Progress. She gave a very overloaded rucksack to Raffi and asked him to try and walk across the room with a back-breaking heavy load. It's a great illustration of the burdens we carry around with us and how, when we recognise Jesus as our King and Saviour, he takes away that heavy load and sets us free. Pilgrim's Progress was published nearly 350 years ago, but it continues to be one of the top ten most read books and really teach, speak to us as Christians. It's an allegorical tale, the Christian life represented as a journey towards the celestial city or heaven, a journey full of dangers, temptations, snares. In order to arrive finally at his destination, the pilgrim, Christian, must face up to all of these and conquer them. The pilgrim has help along his way as he faces real struggles to walk on the king's highway. Towards the middle of the first part of this story, Christian and his companion Hopeful come across a very rough and stony stretch of the King's Highway. Hopeful, persuades Christian, would be much easier if they took a shortcut and walked on the green and pleasant path on the other side of the wall. They cross over into the grounds of Doubting Castle and the lovely smooth grass and quickly find themselves captive by the giant despair. They are locked in the giant's dungeon and mistreated. Beaten and starving, the giant challenges them. He says, why are you choosing life? It's a very bitter and painful experience. What's stopping you from giving up on this life? Christian and Hopeful struggle with this thought. They spend a troubled night in the dungeon, surrounded by the remains of the other pilgrim travellers who have given up on life and abandoned the journey. After praying all night at dawn, Christian cries out, what a fool I've been lying here in this terrible dungeon when I could walk the way to liberty. He reaches into his coat. Here, here, next to my heart, I have a key called promise that will open all the doors in this doubting castle. He turns the key in the dungeon door and it easily flies open. Christian and Hopeful open the great gate of the castle and make their escape back to walking safely on the king's highway. To find the key and open the door of my escape room, I needed to crack complicated codes and find the answers to difficult puzzles before a box could be open and the key released. Christian, in this story, always had the key, God's promises to him. He just needed to get his key out and trust that it would set him free. 
As we'll see in the remaining chapters of Acts that we're looking at in the next few weeks, Paul had held fast to the promise he was given in Acts 23 and verse 11. It was not an easy journey onwards to Rome. He faced trial before false teachers and corrupt rulers. He suffered storm, shipwreck, and even a snake bite. But he did finally arrive safely in Rome, ready to proclaim the name of Jesus. When you're stuck or really struggling in life or feeling like you're under serious pressure, what are the promises of God that you hold on to? I love the promises in Isaiah 43 that whatever we are experiencing, God is with us. We are his and he will not let us go. I'll just read a few of those verses. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Saviour. As followers of Jesus, we can hold on to the truth that whatever rough and stony paths we experience in our earthly life, we have a promise of eternal life that can never perish, spoil, or fade. In 1 Peter 1, we read, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. We are shortly going to gather together around the Lord's table and remember the promise Jesus made through his death and resurrection to declare his love, give us grace, and open the gate of glory to set us free. So let's turn our eyes to Jesus, put our faith and trust in him alone, and allow the key of all his promises to set us free. <laughs>